Welcome to the Glee Man's Apprentice, a Wheel of Time podcast. I am your Glee Man, Twish Avery. And I am his apprentice, Mandy Cat. Cat has already read the first four books of the series, there are always potential spoilers up through the Shadow Rising. And after that, I'll be reading the rest of the books for the very first time with my Glee Man, Twitch. Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Glee Man's Apprentice. We are continuing our breakneck pace, but we're slowing down a little bit. We're only doing six chapters today. Um, and we are starting with chapter 19, Awakening. You want to go ahead and start us off with your uh, cat notes? Let's do it. Chapter 19, Awakening. Matt awakens with indistinct memories surfacing that give the absolute shortest possible summary of the last two books. He picks out that Loyal was an ogier and was real, as was Moraine and a beautiful woman and a ship captain and a well-dressed man who spoke to him like a father giving sage advice. Whoa, what's this beautiful woman and this well-dressed man? Because I'm worried it's Lanfear and Ishmael, by the way. Anyway... Because uh, the captain is Dolman, Marine's Marine, Loyal's Loyal. That's right away in the yep, chapter. Yeah, I just thought that was strange. A well-dressed man giving him sage advice. I don't. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm not sure. Maybe I feel like Lan did not give him any sage advice because Lan ignored the fuck out of him. Yeah, Lan was more uh, mentoring Rand. Lan's attention was mostly put on. Uh, on Rand. And, and not Tom so much on Matt wasn't and necessarily well dressed. Yeah, I think it, you must be right. It must be Balsamon in his dreams. And I think the first read through, I totally ignored that. But beautiful woman is always fucking Lanfear. Yeah. So just. And thought. we have, this is the very first time we've ever gotten a POV from Matt. So we don't know if he's dreamt. We don't know what his dreams have been. I mean, he's, this is true. he's confirmed a couple of them with, with Rand and Perrin. But, like, we don't really know. So, yes, very possibly. Uh, his memories, because his memories are coming back extremely slowly. There's He already recognizes there's a lot of holes in his memories, but he does remember a beautiful woman and a well-dressed man, so I'm, I, I'm guessing like... it's probably, it's been uh, Lanfear, because as far as we know, he hasn't physically met Lanfear. We haven't gotten that, at least. 
So it must have been in his dreams where he's met both uh, Lanfear and Balsamon. Because that's where Perrin met them, just yeah. saying. Yeah. Matt mutters old tongue to himself, and then there's this incoming, very specific thought and or memory of being with soldiers fighting Trollocs. It seems very closely related to the war at Manetherin from years ago. Yeah, it, that's it, kind of sounds what it's like. He's talking about... Um, like, he already pulled back his archers, but the Dark Lords were still sending their archers. They didn't care if they killed their own side. They just, and they're evil fuckers, right? Right, and in it, he seems to be in charge of the Heart Guard under the Red Eagle banner and yep. identifies himself as a gambler. Which, again, makes me think, was he the actual king of Manetherin in a previous life? Like, is this a direct memory? I don't know, or maybe just, a, like, a high-ranking general? Maybe. I don't know. I don't remember every detail of past books, but I'm suspicious. Matt comes back to the present, still muttering in old tongue, but he actually convinces himself, I'm only saying gibberish. It's not really old tongue. Exactly, right? The Aesodai taught me just enough to make me think that, and maybe what, maybe even what the Aesodai said was just made up words, right? Right. Matt looks at his skinny little wrist and remembers Moraine had said he was sick. Then he also has a memory of the dagger with a ruby and shattered Logoth. Matt's super weak. He struggles to get out of bed, but does see his gaunt form in the mirror. He observes the fanciness of the room around him and takes in details of a feast sitting on the table. Okay, so he's trying to figure out where he is. Yep, and, and he's thinking about his dad and yeah. how his dad looks at every looks looks at everything from every Every side, every angle that there is. And that's what has made him such a successful uh, horse trader. Um, and yeah, just, just, a, just a successful farmer and a smart guy, right? So, so Matt's thinking about, he's like, I'm obviously here somewhere. Uh, wherever I am, this, this has money, right? Yep, so he thinks of Abel Calthorne's words, you can turn the worst that comes to your advantage if you only think. And this is probably the first time in Matt's life he really did it, and he does deduce he is in Tarvalon. Yep, it makes sense because he. Yep. I give him a lot of points because that's he's basically waking up from a coma. Yeah. And he's able to recall, yeah, his dad's yep sage advice, but his dad is not a well dressed man. Just saying. Well, at this point, I'm not even quite sure if we've even like met his dad. No, that's why I said his name. I don't think we had. Matt okay. figures, I said I healed him, and he's unsettled that they used the one power on him, but he's also glad to not be dead. There's more context memories. He's thinking through what he does know of I said I, not believing the exact words they say, and remembering the different colored Aja. He does remember red are the worst, and then at last he remembers Rand, and compares the discovery that Rand can channel as finding out his best friend tortures small animals and kills, and kills babies. babies. Horrible comparison, yeah. right? Oh my god, Robert Jordan, why did you write it that way? Seriously. Really fast, because we've talked about this on uh, more than one occasion. We finally get a confirmation of all seven colors. There's the blue Aja, the red Aja. We, we don't know exactly what the blues do yet, right? Mm. We, we get some information later on in this section. Um, we know that the Reds hunt down male Chandlers. Um, we don't really know what the Browns do. They're smart. But we're assuming that they're like the, the smart Aja, right? Libra librarian Aja. Librarian, yeah. Um, the Greens. The Greens like men. Greens we know like that. Men. Um, the Yellows. We've got a little bit of context about healing? Yellows. They're, they they're the, the Doctor Aja. Yeah, they're the medics. 
um, and then white and gray, and we don't know anything about them, right? I know nothing about gray. Yep. And in fact, then, this might be one of the first times you hear about gray. Yeah, second or third. And he does not know about black yet, just for the record. Yeah, well, but there's always been a rumor that there's the eighth Ajra, which is black. But I said I, like, will skin you alive if you mention it to them, so. Yep. So then there's more mental review. He's figuring out what his friends have been up to lately. He knew Nynaeve and Egwene wanted to be Aes Sedai. Rand was following Moraine. And Perrin was acting crazy since his eyes changed colors. Yeah, and he was the only sane one. <laughs> Matt brainstorms how to get out of there. And literally ponders, will the Aes Sedai give me the ruby from that dagger? So he's clearly feeling better. Right, right. And then he's like, oh, they'll probably say it's tainted from Shader of Logoth. And it probably is. But God, that could buy... A cow. That, that could buy the largest farm in, in the Two Rivers. And then he thinks yeah. about how, well, owning the largest farm in Two Rivers isn't really my, like, end goal anymore. I'm, yeah. and, and, and if I'm not mistaken, he actually starts thinking about how he's not even quite sure he'll ever, like, go settle down. Like, he wants to go visit, but he's not sure... does. Or am I just thinking of what Egwin said last? Nope. He, he's yep. kind of mentally reviewing. He's changing. He's uh, with, Without being hoity-toity, he is acknowledging like he has different goals in life now. Yep. He's, he's he doesn't want to be a horse trader. He's experienced life outside of a sleepy village, mm-hmm. and it's kind of suits him. He's a city boy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. By now, Matt ate all of the food on the table. And remembers one last important detail. He blew the horn of Valir. I blew the horn of Valir. And this is where he starts whistling a tune. I'm not sure if you wanted to sing it to our listeners. I'm down at the bottom of the well. It's night and the rain is coming down. The sides are falling in and there's no rope to climb. I'm down at the bottom of a well. Oh dear. And there better be a bloody rope to climb, he whispers. <laughs> So, even though he's just whistling it unconsciously, it's pretty clear he knows there's a storm of events that he is stuck. Yeah. He tries to remember if anyone else knows he blew the horn, and he does identify, well, would Varen know or not? Because she brought it to Tarvalon. But he decides, I'm just going to deny it if anyone asks, and right then, someone knocks. And we get... Chapter 20, Visitations. This shit is hilarious, in my opinion. Yeah, this is a good one. Yeah. Points to Matt. In walks a gorgeous woman in white. Clearly land fear for the reader. But all she says to Matt is, well, you'll be passable when you fill out. And she asks him to cover himself because he's still buck naked. Uh, That being said... (laughs) What does it mean he'll be passable? Not that you have to answer, but what is she up to? Well, I, th- I think she's talking about how, like... She's going to use him? Or, like, his attractiveness. Like, he'll be, he'll be a good enough-looking man once he gains some weight. Right now, he's, like, rib cages sticking out. You know what I mean? Poor like, like he's, he's looking like he's, he hasn't eaten for a long time, which he really hasn't, right? Until just now. Yeah. Matt wishes he was more like Rand and Perrin, drive away with women. I had to put it in there because that's the one. It's, it's, I love it. it. It's it's a running joke. It's and who knows? I don't know if it's, I don't know when it's gonna stop. I don't know how many books we have it before it ends. Maybe it never does. Just have yeah. to raffle on that one. He finds this lady familiar, and she says to call her Celine. And Matt maintains minor suspicions. Good for you, Matt. And asks, "Are you Aes Sedai?" And she firmly denies. 
then he wonders, well, maybe she's a novice, but Elaine looks like a cringer compared to her. <laughs> what the heck is a cringer? That's an interesting way, yeah. I'm going to keep that as a future insult. <laughs> Stop being such a cringer! Um, Celine tells him, I said I plan to use him, and there's no need to convince you to seek glory. Look, this is true. Matt, yeah, Matt yeah. already does Matt's that on really, his own. He, he, wants, he yeah. wants glory and fame and treasure and riches. That's what he wants. Matt stumbles around trying to ask if she's a dark friend, and she actually completes his thoughts, and she just says, dark friends are pathetic losers who think Baalsmon would actually give them immortality and power. Then she insists there's only one man she would stand beside, but, she but follows would not n- follow. She follows no one. So who, who, who is that one man that she might stand beside So and share equal power with? Well, my first instinct would be the dark one. And okay. then I'm like, but could it be Rand? She really likes Rand. I mean, she's, yeah. Um, like, as Celine before, you know, I mean, she hasn't, she hasn't necessarily outed herself to Rand yet that she's Lanfear, right? As far as Rand knows, she's still Celine. But as Celine, she's pretty much every time they've interacted with each other, she's spoken of the glory that he must grab hold of, right? So she's trying to push him towards like something having glory, you know. And then this is where I finally am picking up that Baalzaman must be more Ishmael than the Dark One. Okay. Um, Sincerely, think I probably missed something (laughs) in two read throughs, but I'm picking it up. In context okay. now that this well-dressed man must be Ishmael, and I, she hates Ishmael, which we have figured out she, and, and in yep, book two, yep. and I'm starting to think, that's why I'm like, okay, I'm separating the dark one from Baal's. And we do know that, like, from uh, certain POVs that Mothers in the Two Rivers use the names of uh, Lanfear, the daughter of the night, Ishmael, the betrayer of hope, to like scare their children to behave right. or to go to sleep, right? And um, so we can af- we we can assume because we have heard that Lanfear was one of the most powerful uh, of the Forsaken. Correct. Um, next to next Ishmael. to Ishmael, yeah. and so we can assume. That if Lanfear's doing stuff in the world, Ishmael's probably doing stuff. So maybe Ishmael's trying to pose himself as, as Belzmon. That's a good theory. Yeah, I'm not sure. But fun fact, my sister's name is Michelle, and I used to call her Sir Ishmael. That's awesome. <laughs> I messed her syllables that... up on purpose. She never told me to stop. Well, and, I mean, your sister was... She put up with me. Okay. She put up with me. <laughs> and she has read chapters one through whenever Robert Jordan died. So Oh, really? So maybe I'll get her to start 11, which was the one that was starting. Uh, 11 yeah. was the last was the last uh, book that Robert Jordan wrote. We might be able to get her on this show. Oh, right on. That'd be awesome. Lanfear begins smooth-talking Matt, telling him, you need to trust me. Well, yes, I'm going to use you, but you are so suspicious since you started carrying that dagger. But don't worry, I'm still going to lead you to wealth and glory. Plus, these Aes Sedai punks aren't even telling you that your daddy and Tam came to Tarvalon asking about you. Oh, oh, and Black Aja infest the tower. Oh, wow. That's a lot of info, isn't it? That's a big info dump right, th- right then and there on he him. He woke yeah. up 15 minutes ago. Yep. <laughs> ate, ate a meal for four or five and then has this- Lanfear coming in and telling him about the Black Aja. And, but, I mean, 
So this is kind of cool. Like she's, she's basically saying, look, the Ace of Die are going to use you. I am also going to use you. The Ace of Die aren't going to tell you that they're using you. I will. So who are you going to trust? The one that's being honest with you or the ones that are just going to use you and pretend they're not using you? So she tells him, you better reconsider being an Aes Sedai puppet because you have choices. However, Matt does not embrace these choices. Um, she expected him to just be like, yeah, you're right. You're yeah. cool. You were telling me the truth. But then she makes it very clear. That's not the answer she wanted. And she extends her hand, which he withdraws from, but starts to feel a tingle and a headache. And she stops because it looks like she hears something, and then she just abruptly leaves. Yep. Yep. That seems like she was about to harm him. And we know that Leandrin has a trick that yeah. she uses to, like, manipulate people to do what she wants, right? Correct. Maybe Lanfear's getting about to do something like that to Matt so that she has, like, control over his actions so that he doesn't have a choice. Ugh. Like, like, some sort of, like, compulsion or something. Right, but he's to Viren, so thank goodness she left. No, I mean, he might have someone was coming, someone right? Else towards him, correct. Anyway, she's gone. Matt gets up and assesses items in his closet, mostly happy to find his gambling dice. There's a knock on the door and enter the Amarlin seat in the Keeper of the Chronicles. Yes. Which is, yes, probably what Lanfear heard probably. from afar, though. They were not close because he had time to slowly get out of bed and slowly assess what was in his closet. So we know that uh, women who channel can feel other women. So maybe what she felt was just like women who, who are powerful in the one power approaching. Like, maybe she didn't know who it was. She just knew that there was, there was some Ace of coming to the room and she should probably book out real fast. Even though I think she can just disappear when she wants to, but I suppose they'd sense that. Matt says he's feeling fine. He's ready to go. And the Amberlynn counters saying, you are way too sick. Do you do realize you just ate enough food for five men? And you're going to eat pretty similar meals like that three or four times a day for the next few days as you finish healing. And, and she, she straight up says there's a chance we might have to heal you again. Yes. Like, we're not sure if we got all the taint out. Yes. Even a speck could yep. grow back and kill him. Yep. She's also warned all the bridge guards and dock masters to not let Matt leave the city, as she suspected he'd be a flight risk. Yeah. Matt fishes for information about his family. And so he's he's kind of goading because she straight up, uh, Celine straight up told him, the animal is not going to tell you that your father came. The animal is not going to tell you anything. You know, unless maybe, unless you ask, but. Yep. So, so he's kind of doing some slight digging. He doesn't straight up ask. He's just like, I'm, I'm surprised my dad hasn't come looking for me. He's probably worried sick. Well, first, he asks about his family, and the Amarlin says, write them a letter. And then he asks, I'm surprised my dad hasn't looked for me. Yeah. Then she yeah. answers, well, that's funny you say that, because he was here a little bit ago. All the more reason to write another letter. He notices, though, that she kind of looks at Leanne before she answers. And she did not mention Tam. And she didn't mention Tam. I thought that was actually clever of Matt. Again, mm -hmm. I know he's fishing, but he's also trying to affirm if this Celine chick is telling the truth or not. Exactly, exactly. How so much that, can you trust her, right? Yeah. And he doesn't know the Amarlin. At this point, he's never, in his she didn't really surface exactly in his memories. So, yet, so. she met him, they met briefly when he was in the sickbed at uh, Faldara. 
Right. Like, However, I'm questioning if those memories have come back to him. Exactly. Exactly. So. Leanne is sent to He find- asks about Rand, and she says, I've only seen him the once, the one time I saw you in Tarvo- in, in, right. in Falgara. Okay. Then the Amerlin sends Leanne to find some pie, and that's when the Amerlin takes that private moment to tell Matt, you better watch your tongue. Do you remember the horn or not? He does his little yep. thing. I'm not going to answer. And she just pounces on him and is like, you tell me. Yep. He admits he remembers. And that's when she informs him of his link to the horn. And Matt deduces, okay, so I'll either be at the last battle or I'm going to die. Well, and he also realizes they didn't have to heal me. They could have let me die. Like he, he realizes, I mean, Matt's a smart guy. And he yeah. realizes it right off the bat, shit, they could have killed me. They, I mean, they could have allowed me to, to die and it wouldn't have been killing me. They just, you know, let it happen. So it's pretty interesting that, first of all, he picks that up and then he also picks up, they healed me so that they can use me. So, the yeah, puppet, which I'm, is... I'm, I'm going to be on Ace of Day puppet strings, definitely. Yes. The Amerlin shares Matt is like her uncle Huan. I love this. Who could not be pinned down for anything, and he also liked to gamble, but he died saving children out of a burning house because as long as there was still one child in, he was going to keep doing that. Yep. Matt claims he's no hero, and she insists he still must keep this horn a secret. I do think Matt would do that, though. I think that is his personality. Uh, He says he's not a hero, but I'm like, you're the one who wouldn't hurt a girl in whichever... Which scene was that? He's like, I can't hurt a girl. Um, it was it was in the the steading. It was in steading. Uh, oh, the Sofu uh, with the ale maidens, the maiden of the spears. Yeah, and um, and not that girls are the same as children burning in a house, but he's so protective of his sisters. All right, so there's that's... a little bit more. Okay. Matt point blank asks the Amarlin see if she does not trust Aes Sedai, and she evades answering. So he is now left in his bedroom thinking about what he heard from both the Amarlin Seat and Selene, but finding way too many holes in the stories. So this was really cool. I was just like, Matt, you're using your critical thinking skills and I love it. Yep. And I hope you don't die like Uncle Huan, but it does, like, you know, he says, I'm no bloody hero, but I'm like, well, you would do it. He's... You still would. You would do what was right. Like... So, so from everybody else's perspective... Matt's a scamp. He's a scoundrel. He's a, he's a trickster. He's a thief. He's untrustworthy. We've never gotten from anybody that he's unintelligent. Right. But he's not highly respected. Right? No. Yeah. He's not highly respected. He's not trusted. But we've never got that he's, un- that he's unintelligent. So now we're in his head and we're starting to see. Even though he can't remember, like, 70% of his life, he's still like figuring, he's pulling the memories out as he can and he's yeah. he's deducing based on what he can remember. He's putting that information together. So, so yeah, Matt's a smart guy. I love, Matt's POVs are some of my favorite POVs, not because, I mean, yes, because he's funny, but just because of the way his mind works. I really, I really um, uh, appreciate the way Robert wrote the mind of Matt. Yeah, and it's also, we're going to get more on Matt in chapter 24, so it is fun to get his perspective. 
All right, let's move on. We got chapter 21, A World of Dreams. Another really fun episode, uh, chapter, I think. This is Aguine's perspective after a greasy day of chores. She heads to Varen's rooms above the library, as requested by Varen. Typical lengthy description. There's dusty walls and tapestries without lit candles because Browns are so lost in their world of knowledge they don't need cleaners. Yep. Eguine finds the dark panel door next to a tapestry that Varen had described in the tapestry as a king surrendering to another king on horseback. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, is that foreshadowing? Or is it just a tapestry? I don't know. Mm-hmm. She doesn't remember <laughs> the names of them. We don't get them, so... No, we don't. So, probably just a tapestry. Okay. Eguine enters Varen's I mean, rooms. Is anything in Robert Jordan's writing just a tapestry no and right? it, i don't so even don't think know. it has to be a king to a king it could be an isodai to an isodai as yeah. far as my type of foreshadowing like what else could it mean okay Egwene enters varen's rooms that are essentially it's it's a library and a museum there's books maps there's a trollic skull even a live owl to keep mice at bay so she thought Beautiful. it was a stuffed owl and then it blinked at her right that's a cute moment yeah yeah yeah, so yeah. and the she doesn't realize that the skull is a comes from a trolloc until like she'd been there for a while at first she thinks it's a ram's skull and then the more she looks at it while while Varen's like shuffling through things the more it comes to her yeah. oh no that's too human like to be a ram's skull that's look at ew, that gross. high forehead it gross yeah. that's it gross that's a trolloc skull but do I'm also think... like Varen would have a trolloc well I was gonna say do you think that makes Varen evil because no. she has a trolloc skull skull no I think it makes her very brown Varen is reading a paper by Roselle of Assam. She says it's one page of thousands of pages that were written of secrets the world could not face, and that's all that survived, supposedly. Yeah. Varen translates it upon Eguine's um, request. So, so, so first of all, I just want to, I, I love quoting Varen because she's amazing. Fascinating this. Roselle of Essam claimed more than a hundred pages survived the breaking, and she should have known since she wrote barely two hundred years afterwards. But only this one piece still exists, so far as I know. Perhaps only this very copy. Roselle wrote that it has secrets the world could not face, and she would not speak of them plainly. I have read this page a thousand times trying to decipher what she meant. It is a direct translation, mind, and it reads almost like a bard reciting in high chant. Listen. Heart of the dark, Balsamon. Name hidden within name, shrouded by name. Secret buried within secret, cloaked by secret. Betrayer of hope. Ishmael betrays all hope. Truth burns and sears. Hope fails before truth. A lie is our shield. Who can stand against the heart of the dark? Who can face the betrayer of hope? Soul of shadow, soul of the shadow, he is. And it ends right there. What do you make of it? It's weird. It's very weird. So and that's this... also where I was like, is yep. Baalzman Ishmael this whole name buried with a name shrouded in name? Name. I think that's where I was Hard the dark like... Baalzman, secret within a secret, cloaked by secret, betrayer of hope, Ishmael. Yeah. And, I di- and I dismissed, not, didn't dismiss it, missed it first read through because I wasn't reading critically. Like yeah. that's the type of thing I probably was like, yeah. how much can I understand of this? And there, and I've said this before and I'll say it, I'm sure I'll say it again before we're done with this series at least a hundred times. But this is why... This series, despite how long it is, um, it 
keeps getting reread. Like there's a reason why there's a huge online community based to these books alone. And it's, it's because there is, you cannot, there, it is impossible for you to get every detail on, on one read through. You, there, you won't even get 25% of a lot of what's written in there. You know what I mean? So, oh, I believe like, it. And that's why this series is reread and reread and I've done it and most of the people that I've met online do it. Like, you reread the series because there's always, I mean, always. There, John from What Up um, does, uh, uh, he's, I think he's on his 41st read through wow. and he says that he picks something up every time that he never picked up before so so yeah anyways big long tangent let's go on Varen hands Aguina paper telling her this is the name and records of each of the black Aja who left and a list of what they know of the Tarangriel that were taken Eguin has sudden suspicion of Varen but she allows it to pass yeah I, I summarized that so I might have misquoted some of it um, is that where she straight up says, I trust you, Varen said I. But and then thinks. she thinks, can I really? And then, uh... Varen blinks at her. Bl- right? Yeah, she just blinks. Do <laughs> <laughs> you expect her to say something like, that is good, or something like that? But no, she just blinks. Then Varen changes topic to that of Aguin potentially being a dreamer. And Aguin has been working with Anaya. Um... And Anaya doesn't, like, Anaya hasn't found any proof. And Varen, what does Varen say? Do you remember? Uh, Isn't she just saying Anaya doesn't go fast enough? Isn't willing to, like, take the next step? Yep, Anaya insists on bringing girls along way too slowly, in my opinion. Which, I I guess from a therapy perspective, yeah, if there's a big, like, diagnosis, you don't jump to it. Like, you want to make sure anything else is excluded first. But then she also talks about Corianne and Adele. Yep, this gets important. So that's the last dreamer that they remember. How many years ago, Corianne? Yep. A lot of years a ago. A lot of years ago. It's a history dump about dreamers. And and Varen straight up says, from my like from everything that I've read about her and researched her stuff, she barely she barely deserves the name of a dreamer. Yep, which gets interesting with another detail at the end. Um, what we learn about dreamers per Varen. It's not all about foreseeing the future, but also about interacting across the what will be universe. Mm-hmm. Essentially, Varen draws a hashtag line by line saying this is this uni- this may be universe, mm-hmm. this may be universe, and the hashtag basically where the alternate universes intersect in the hashtag yep. is and- important because there's only a few known consistencies across each universe, which is the creator and the dark one locked in his prison. Yep. And and they emphasize he is locked in each universe. Yep. Yeah, cuz cuz Eguin's like, "Oh my god, does that mean there's like a world <laughs> right. of, like a universe out there where the dark one rules?" And 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 she is, "No, child. There's just shut up." Yeah, just shut up because I'm not done yet. And so Varen goes on about there could be a third consistency of Teleronriad, uh the world of dreams or uh what was the other? I feel like there's... I called it Teleronria. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which, which is the old tongue. Yes. Um, and which is basically the world of dreams. Correct. Or the and dream world. That's where dreamers are able to enter, 
And boom, I'm like, that fits a green to a T. Cause she, and we know she's a dreamer because she keeps seeing Rand quite accurately since seeing basically Celine with yep. Rand. And then also it's noted regular people can accidentally enter Teleron Riyadh. Yeah. But for the most part, if it comes to, I, I don't think they use the word manipulating, but being able to be active, it's probably a dreamer. Yeah. Yeah. If you can knowingly, like, like, it's very common for people to. I mean, think about like any really, really, really vivid dreams that you have. That's basically what he's saying. Like your most vivid dreams, those are probably like just small glimpses into the world of dreams. And if you're in there and you die in the world of dreams, you're dead forever. Right. So Varen provides a Gwyn a heavy ring of swirling colors. And it's actually a Tarangrail. Mm-hmm. And it helped Corianon ease passage into Teleron Riyadh, which is why I'm like, Corianon, were you really a dreamer or were you just able to use the Teleron Riyadh? Yeah, maybe. Varen, this is where Varen shows a long scar on her forearm and warns Egwene anything that happens in the dream world is real. She shows her the scars like Anaya's healing did not work as well as it should have. Yeah. Ooh, scary. That's kind of freaky, right? That's bad. Uh Uh-huh. And I think she says she used it, what, like 40 years ago? It was a while ago. Okay. After Egwene leaves, we have one last perspective from Varen. Varen's considering the other papers in her possession that Corianon wrote that detail Corianon's knowledge of the Tarangriol. Yeah. Varen's sitting there wondering, should I just burn this? Should I have given it to Egwene? Should I have, you know, she's basically, should I have even given the ring to Egwene? It's yeah, really strange. Yeah. She's, I mean, she's not sure she made the right decision. And and then she just, you know, the end of the chapter, she's like, oh, what will happen will happen. And she gets distracted looking for what she'd been working on previously. And Egwene's out of sight, out of mind. And I'm yeah. just like, okay, so she's doing that whole que sera, sera. But yeah. what's with not giving Egwene the matching papers when you just gave her this really significant terangriel. That's that's an interesting that's an interesting thought. Maybe maybe Perrin feared Varen. Wow. Varen feared that Corianon's notes weren't coming from someone who was an actual dreamer but someone who could only access the dream world through this terangriel so they might not be helpful and even possibly damaging to a real dreamer. I don't know. I'm just throwing out I'm just throwing out that option. That could be the reason why she doesn't give them to her. That would make the most sense. I didn't really come up with a good reason Do you think that it's other like than enough... it just makes Varen seem suspicious that she didn't give everything that was known. So do you so you think it might be a nefarious I don't know what to think about Varen. Reason? Okay. But, but I will say like uh, I just flip flop with Varen all the time. And there'll be more, I think, in the next chapter. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I couldn't tell you okay. right now. If you ask me, is she dark or not? I'm like, I. she'd be a great dark one because she's hidden her darkness under all that okay. knowledge. I, so she'd be great at it. I love that, and I hope she's not like Arjun. You know if she is or isn't. Don't. I don't. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> chapter 22, The Price of the Ring. Egwene uh, leaves. I Var- don't like this chapter. I'm not gonna lie. This is a hard chapter to get through for me. It's kind of long, isn't it? And and it's and it's it's intense in like a very slow paced way almost. I don't know. I don't know. I I just I I don't love this chapter. This is probably one of my least favorite chapters in the book. 
I still took a lot of notes, but I, at the same time, I still feel like I did my best not to. I this is the testing chapter. Yeah, and and I I can honestly I feel like there's like, I feel the most I have to say about this chapter is the stuff that happens before and after Egwene goes through the triangle and not like during what she sees. I, I, Interesting. It is kind of important. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it everything's important, right? But I don't know. Right, the price of the ring. Egwene leaves Varen's study only for Shiriam to impatiently find her and say, Hey, time for testing, ASAP. Shiriam notices the papers but does not ask details. Egwene argues, Well, I'm tired. It's late. But apparently, the Amerlin insisted testing happens now because once you get a fish, you don't wait for it to rot. Yeah. Great. So why is Egwene freaking out? Uh, well, she's holding papers with a lot of names on it that are... Um, suspect and a Tarangriel that she probably shouldn't have to the extent she even slightly hopes someone would find it and take it away from her. Okay. Egwene goes to the testing chamber and Elida is a dick off the bat going so far as oh to argue Egwene does not deserve to become accepted but Sheriam is quick to point out hey Elida you did none of this towards Elaine five minutes ago. Well and you insisted on being a part of this. I know that's because you have a special interest in the daughter of Andor but shut shut the fuck up or I'm going to find somebody to replace you. And Elida turns her head and sniffs loudly. And we know that, I mean, we talked about this last episode. We know that um, Moraine and Sawan are the most powerful Aes in the tower. Yes. Elida, and I'm sure, I'm pretty sure we've gotten this previously. Elida is right there with them in strength. So they're, so these are the three. So we know that Elida is more is stronger in the one power than Shirian. So this moment gets kind of tense. Cuz 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 Elida's like Elida's staring down Shirian and Shirian's staring down Elida. They both have the knowledge that if some shit went down Elida would be the victor cuz she's the more powerful. So th- this is momentarily for me at least this is an intense scene. Anyways. Yeah, Shuriam would be very protective of the novices, though. I feel like that is her role. I, I love Shuriam. Shuriam And she's amazing. not going to do anything. Yep. And Elida, I think it's also good to remember, because I don't think about it, but she can do a bit of foretelling mm-hmm. with Rand from book one. That's true. Egwene hesitates when she realizes she must leave the papers and her pouch holding the Tarangriel ring with all of her clothes when she undresses to do the testing. But she continues. Yep. She kind of gets called out for hesitating, and she's like, no, I'm doing it. Yep. Alana pauses. She's stressed, stressed. okay. Alana pauses the opening ritual, saying, I sense a resonance. It's almost like a buzz, but it seems to go away before the others notice, so Elida mocks Alana. Yeah, Elida's a dick about it. Fucking Elida. And they begin the formal testing again of facing her fears. Okay, let's 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 get into it. I don't want I don't want to rush it. I mean there is some important stuff in here. I didn't mean to like shit all over it. It's just it's just rough. Round this is, one. This is a rough chapter. Round one, the past. Egwene sees her husband Rand and her baby daughter Joya while Tam watches the sheep. Rand tells of war that the peddler had shared with Jane Daughtry. Rand has a headache that Egwene recognizes as one of his unusual fits that sometimes correlates to natural disasters. Egwene wants to help heal him because he appears agonized, but then the silver arches appear and she must leave 
which she does despite Rand's screams of pain, and I had to make a note, with much less hesitation than Nynaeve had leaving Lan. Uh-huh. Much less. Okay. Egwene returns to the chamber and asks Shiriam, was it real? And Shiriam cannot answer with certainty, but assures Egwene the danger is real. So, okay, there are a couple things I want to elaborate a little bit on here. Ha-ha. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I knew I was going to, but... Uh, that that last thing, uh, first of all, Sherryam says, I've done this so many times and every single, every single Isidai or every single girl when they come out of that first ring asks the same thing every single time. And second of all, she says, if it was real and they chose that life because it seemed like a happier life than coming... In becoming uh, Aes Sedai, I hope that they're wrong and that that life is a horrible life. That the, <laughs> they live like the worst life ever, had, go through a lot of pain. Like she's pretty vicious about it, and and she explains, I'm I'm not heartless. I just I don't respect that choice of of giving up your duty for a dream, right? Essentially, right. And and she's very uh, clear. but then for her for for herself. She doesn't believe that it's true, but the danger is true. I, and I really think that's all I wanted to elaborate on that. And I will say every time we go through it, and hopefully this is the last time we go through it, so it's probably not important, but it reminds me, there is a specific movie that has that plot line where someone's in their fantasy world, but they're, they're not sure it's a dream, but it slowly but surely seems to fall apart. And I can't remember what movie I'm thinking of, but Labyrinth kind of has a similar vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they Labyrinth just realize does. something's wrong. Were you, you know? ever, were you a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan? I only watched the movie, not the show. Oh, the show was so good. Anyways, there's there's an episode. I I think either in the I think in the seventh season um, that explores that idea as well. That that uh, Buffy's existence is always that would be my assumption. Is it like all like a like a like a mental. It, like it would just start fading. Yeah. yeah. But so, anyways, um, yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Round two. Okay, let's do it. The present. I appreciate that you wrote down the past, present, and future because I remember we had this conversation back when we did 90s uh, testing about the first time is for what was, the second time is for what is, the third time is for what will be, right? Yeah. So I appreciate that you noted that. Egwene awakens in the rubble of what was once the royal palace of Andor and Camelin, wearing a torn blue dress. She must hide from Murdra and Trollocs, who are patrolling the town with men who are clearly forced to work alongside the Trollocs. She finds Rand under a beam, crushing him, and he's saying he has to put all of his effort to fight the taint. Rand asks Egwene to kill him so he cannot be forced to do the Dark One's bidding, which is apparently a thing in which the Murdral and Dreadlords can force Rand to turn to the shadow. Shit. If he has so much as an ounce of life in him. Okay. Egwene refuses to murder him despite his pleas. And this one's lame, because I'm like, she gets to not murder him. That's almost a win. But she's sad, because that's what he wants. The yep. silver arches come. She enters. Yep. She's back in the chamber. Once again, she hesitates less than Nynaeve <laughs> did with Lan. Yep. She, she asked Shiriam... Did Dream Rand tell the truth? And Shiram tries to avoid answering, saying, Hey, Tarongrel memories do not need to be shared. It's not custom. But Egwene insists. And Shiram does teach her that, yes, if 13 Dreadlords, who are dark friends who channel, weave power through 13 Murdral, 
they can force someone to do the shadows bidding. Yeah. We do not learn anything more. And Shiriam says, this is a secret of the tower. So don't yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Any other pretty... thoughts about that chamber? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Should we just get through round three? Uh, let's do it. Round three, the future. Yep. Egwene is now the Amerlin seat. She's with her keeper, Beldeen. Beldeen? Yep, Beldeen. Of the green, which means Egwene must have risen from Beldine green. Beldeen from the green, which means Egwene. Sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> Keep that for the next song. The typical <laughs> caution where they hear the words, the way back will come but once, gets cut off. And instead, Egwene hears, 13 dark then there's another interruption, and this time she hears 13 of the Black Asha. So it almost seemed like, is she just remembering what Shiriam just told her, mm -hmm. and it's getting in the way? Who knows? Egwene and her keeper decide to not keep the others waiting, whatever that means, and they enter the Hall of the Tower. The words about the way back comes but once are incomplete again and again, and instead Egwene hears the Black Aja waits. No. Rand is brought in for sentencing after channeling and claiming Dragon Reborn. But Egwene hesitates. Elida accuses Egwene of not being fit for office and she will not call punishment for Rand. Then Egwene is hit by the Keeper's staff. Boom. She wakes up naked on a table surrounded by three Aes Sedai and, or excuse me, surrounded by 13 Aes Sedai and 13 Merdral. Oh shit. Ah shit. She catches. And she can't get to the fucking Ark. No, she catches them off guard. She uses her power to obliterate. So they didn't have they didn't have her previously uh, shielded, which was stupid. But anyways, so so she wakes up and they're like shield her fast, and but it's too late. She they and, were surprised she woke and up, and they to know be that fair. she's more powerful than all of them. And the murder all burst into <laughs> flames, right? Like flame comes like Flash out everywhere. from inside them and blows them apart. It's so great. It's like, okay. So she Okay, gets up, maybe I like these chapter this chapter more than I She punches Gildan square in the yes, face. Yes, bitch. That's Elida's closest confidant and in in Egwene's like, well, Glad Perrin taught me that, but he didn't tell me how much that <sighs> would hurt. Jesus Christ, shut the fuck up. Egwene goes to her study <laughs> for clothes and finds Beldine crying. Beldine said she'd been stilled three nights previously and forced to join Elida's plan yep. in order for them to use dark powers like, to give her Sidar back. She had to join the plan, and that confirms that Elida is yeah. black Aja. Interesting. Beldine reveals Rand is in the traitor's court. Egwene runs to the roof because she wants to save Rand by seeing from afar where he's at. Yep. And she makes a comment. She never took the three oaths of the Aes Sedai. Yeah. Which I think has come up previously as somewhere, some shape or form. Hasn't really? It? No, I don't. I, or maybe I, don't I just never forgot it from the first read through. Yeah. Um, possibly. But I, I, and I do think it directly relates to her experience with Siamchen that she yeah. didn't take it. Yeah. Anyway. From the roof, she sees him surrounded by 13 Aes Sedai, but she's unsure how to use her power without making herself a target or Rand an easy target or essentially start a civil war within the tower. Yeah. Egwene hears frantic voices, just kind of from afar, who knows, saying they don't know how long they can hold on, and another voice insisting they continue or they'll be gutted like sturgeons. Wonder yeah. who's that voice is from. <laughs> More <laughs> ominous thoughts. That there is a price to be Aes Sedai, and the Black Aja waits. Silver arches appear at last. Egwene leaves with a description of being picked apart 
fiber. So it's pretty fiber. cool because she's on the roof, and the um, the arch appears on like one of the other dome tops. So she has to jump off the roof to get to to go through the right to go through the arch, and uh, and then yeah, it's it's like she's seared apart. Right. I think it's the first time to be described so much as like burning and yeah, fiber by fiber. It's almost like thinking of a there's something going through a black hole. There's something going on. Yeah. There's there's something going on. But yeah, basically, like she feels like she's being like disintegrated, like slowly, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever 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 ever. And we go to chapter twenty three. However, I'm gonna comment first. That's actually something I want to touch on too. The reason I wanted to go through each of her dreams, some of them parallel with Rand's worlds that may be back from the portal storm. yeah because he had headaches he was married to Yeah, yeah i'm guessing they had there, children i don't remember that detail there there was a there was a um one life where Egwene ruled to still him right yes yeah i mean there's the, so it paralleled yep. rand's maybe universes i'm concerned because elida's black aja and taking, she basically took over Amarlin's seat. Like, I'm pretty sure from afar, Egwene saw the back of her with the yeah. rainbow Yeah, yep, yep. Um, and I think that's of note. And I'm still on the fence, and I'll probably bring this up in the next chapter, but Elida loves Elaine, or wants to use her for power, for sure. And I'll, I'll speak more to that on the next chapter, but I still don't know if she's Black Aja now, but it certainly seems like she might be swayed. Do you think that the fact that she's Black Aja in Egwene's uh, arch life, like, do you think that that means anything about Elena being you know black what? if she's black in the in, in the arches? I still need the second read through to, like, feel this way, but I'll, I'll just stick with Ingtar never got the fucking horn and all of his lives lived. And, and, and he did it in his real life. Elida... And I believe, I believe that he actually says that in every life he lived, he always went to the dark. And I think, I think this is ominous for Elida... I think she will be black if she isn't black. Okay. 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 I don't feel I can confirm she is black. No, I love it. Great. That's that's a great per, uh, um, prediction. I love it. Um, okay. Uh, there, there was one thing I wanted to touch yes. on. Um, and it's in uh, Egwene's thoughts about how, like, it's impossible that the Black Aja could do this because we destroyed the Black Aja. I was there for that. I, that was the Great Purge. Interesting. And you didn't, it, I, I just, I, I, I think that's interesting to, to note, like, oh, I wonder what the Great Purge is, and I wonder if that'll ever come up again. I, I remember it, and then I probably thought of the movie The Purge, which I don't, I kind of dislike that movie. So I never saw I it probably, because I didn't like the premise. Uh, no, so I probably disregarded it simply because some dick wrote a movie called The Purge. Okay, okay, that's fair. Um, awesome. All right. Chapter 23, sealed. There's more descriptions of light and being pulled apart. A queen comes to in the chamber and she is pissed, but quickly realizes something's off because now there's two Aes Sedai for each place around the Tarangrail and the giant's, oops, yeah, the giant silver arched Tarangrail is buzzing. It's buzzing. And it seems to be full of color that I don't recall described before. Nope, nope. It was just light. It was just like a, a white light before. Yeah, so it, it's vibrating or something. Shiriam touches her forehead, I believe, and proclaims Egwene unharmed. The Amarlin insists... She, yeah, she touches Egwene's forehead. 
almost like a minor healing in a way, or she's doing a medical assessment. So, so they say what it is. Oh. Did you write it down? No. She delves her. Because, um, uh, so, so there's, there's this interaction that you're going to talk about, and then, and then Swan says, I want to make triple sure that she is all right, Sherry. And Sherry's like, I delved her. Okay. So we are going okay. to assume, and I'm going to give you this, we're going to assume that delving is like a way for them to like, like basically scan you. I picture as a Star Trek thing with that little thing. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's, it's like a scanning, it's, they're scanning. Okay. They're scanning you to see if there's anything wrong with you. They're doing a full body scan. And I do remember Shuriam was a little offended. That yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, she Anyways, you go on, that's, I mean, that's neither it's, here nor there. I just wanted to throw, we, we do know what that is. Okay. We get that information. The Amerlin insists we got to complete the ritual, so they do. Egwene dresses in her accepted dress, and Elida hands her... Her novice clothes, including the papers and the pouch. She has to try really hard not to snatch them. And she's successful. She she is. She takes them gently away and says, thank you, Ace I. Yep, and she notices surreptitiously the string is still tied on the papers, and she squeezes the pouch, and she can feel she's the ring. super paranoid about this shit right now, right? So Elida takes this opportunity to intimidate Egwene by saying... You're a wilder and undeserving of this opportunity. Which I'm like, okay, that seems like a feasible reason that Elida's so offended and she only wants Elaine to be special. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe part of it is she's just jealous, Moraine found too. Yep, yeah, is child is childish jealousy. Um she's being a ridiculous little uh uh immature brat right now. Um, I almost said a couple mean words, and I don't need to do that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, she's she she straight up says like, I know that you like started learning under Isidai um, advisement before you ever touched the source. I get it. I don't mean that. I you are a wilder because you will never be part of this tower like the rest of us. I mean, it's, it's, it's so I, 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 I wish I would have highlighted that. I, I can't believe I well, didn't. Well, you can look it up. I have a few comments about Elida. I think it's also important to remember she's sort of a spider in the queen's ear, much like, who's that dude in Lord of the Rings? You know his name. I can never remember. You it. ask me this Wormtongue. every episode. Grandma Wormtongue. Grandma Wormtongue. I do ask every episode. <laughs> I don't keep his name in my mind because it's disgusting. Anyway, Elida's essentially a Wormtongue if you think about it. And we do know for a fact she does hide stuff from the queen. Even when the queen says, "Tell me directly," Elida hid stuff about Ram from yeah. the queen. Just yep. saying. Yeah. Okay. So power is important to Elida. Oh, very much so. So the, this is the quote, and I, 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 I like this. I appreciate this. I mean, I hate Elida, but I appreciate this. I did not want you to be brought forward tonight. Not because I feared what happened. No one could have foreseen that, but because of what you are—a wilder. Negwin tried to protest, but Elida kept on as implacable as a mountain glacier. Oh, I know you learned to channel under Aes Sedai teaching, but you are still a wilder, a wilder in spirit, a wilder in ways. You have a vast potential, else you would never have survived in here tonight. But potential changes nothing. I do not believe you will ever be part of the White Tower, not in the way the rest of us are. No matter on which finger you wear your ring, it would have been better for you had you settled for learning enough to stay alive, and gone back to your sleepy village. Far better. 
And it's just like, you fu- Do you know what that speech kind of reminds me of? What? Boo! Yes. Boo! Rubbish, filth, putrid slime, boo! That's from, you know, Princess you know what that's from, right? And, and like, just, just the way she's like, a wilder spirit, a wild because you had true love, true love <laughs> that you threw away like garbage, because that's what you are. Yeah, Elida's a dick, um, and, and I think a lot of it is to do with power. Yeah, she, she's power hungry, and we're gonna get more of that in the next book. So I'm not gonna go too far. I just want to say, uh, Etta insisted on learning that line from uh, Princess Bride. That's good. And every once in a while, they'll just throw that out there, like. Boo! Rubbish! Filth! Anyways. That'd be a good Halloween costume. I'm gonna think on that. <laughs> Iguina Shiriam, what really happened? However, Walana comes up over comes over to say, I'm at fault. Remember that reverberation I heard at first? It came back ten thousand fold, and it felt like Sidar was being forced to shut down. Alana goes on and on, wanting the same punishment Aguina's been doing since weird, returning right? to the tower. Very weird. Because it even raises Aguina's suspicions right away. Why does Alana want to stay close to me and yeah. keep an eye on me, huh? Alana continues to ponder the incident, saying the only other thing she'd ever heard of similar was when two Tarangrail were used in the same room and must have been related to each other, which is actually very rare. However, they each melted. Then Egwene thinks of the ring in her pouch and she feels at fault. However, I'm going, wait a minute, did Varen know? Well, I, I don't really think Varen knew she'd be tested. Like, honestly, I, I, even just saying it right there, I'm like, no, Varen No, I don't, I, I, I don't Varen believe. wouldn't have wanted to destroy Tuturanga. No, no, because, I mean, she says, right, in, like, in, in that short little, like, four paragraphs that we get in, uh, in Varen's mind at the end of the last chapter, um, or, you know, a couple chapters ago, uh, she straight up says, like, destroying knowledge is anathema. Destroying knowledge is anathema. Yeah. I'm sure destroying any type of terangrial is anathema, right? right? Like, anything that you can learn from, you you do not... That, that That's, like, precious gold to these yeah. brands. So I'm going to take that back. Marin didn't know. However, I'm still suspicious the whole the Black Aja weight, the Black Aja weight. Was there a Black Aja in there, like... I, I don't know, Lida trying to, like, screw things over. Man, anyway. I don't know. I don't know. Or, I mean, is Alana? I don't know. That was really weird. And I second read-through, I'm less suspicious of her. First read-through, I was so suspicious yeah. of her. And we're yeah. going to have to wait I, me and see. Too. Yeah. I have to figure out why I may or may not have eliminated her from my suspicions. Okay. But I think it's coincidence the ring was in there. However... At the same time, it was still a suspicious circumstance. Okay. Egwene changes topics and asks Alana, what does it mean to be green, Aes Sedai? And Alana does a brief description of each. Brown seek knowledge. Blue's metal and causes. White consider the questions of truth with only logic. And green stand ready. And I think Egwene has to pull more about the green. Um, they've been called the Battle Aja. Mm-hmm. And they countered the dreadlords in the past, and they will be ready for Tarm and Gaiden. So they're truly allies to the... They're like the elves in Lord of the Rings, kind of. Okay. They're ready to come to wherever that place was. <laughs> I'm so bad with names. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't remember either. They will fight with men. The Amberlynn checks in, and Alana follows through with her need to be disciplined, and was only allowed to go to Shiriam's study, and she does seem a bit relieved to not have to do 
kitchen chores. Yeah. The Amberlin tells Egwene, well, you may as well go to bed. But because Egwene was so distracted because she's sitting there figuring out who is or is not Black Aja. Right. Shiriam comes over while Egwene is still standing there and calls Alana a fool. And we get context that they have been novices together. Yep. And Shiriam asks if Alana's been taken by the dragon before she realizes Egwene is still there. At this point, Shiriam tells Egwene, get out and you better forget what you heard. Um, pretty much the end of the chapter, I think. I, not quite, not quite. However, I'm going to make a comment right here. I feel equally as conflicted as Egwene about who is or is not Black Aja and who can blame her after the round three she just had. Yeah. And I just made a comment. I've really changed my mind a lot with some of these and I keep going back and forth. I think read through one, I was super conscientious of Shiriam and Alana because why was Shiriam in the novice quarters, quarters not asking the right questions around the solace? And then why is Alana here? But second read through, I'm kind of thinking, it seems this is where I thought they might have some sort of alliance, maybe. Shiriam and Alana. Okay. Maybe. And again, question, is Varen bad? Okay. Al- so and I and I again emphasize Elida, I don't know if she is or isn't black, but okay. it certainly seems she will take the black. Okay. So so uh you 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 were predicting that Elida will, will become be. black is not black yet. Seems like it. Black. Not black Aja yet. Okay. Because she's so power hungry in yeah. a way that isn't about the dark one, it's about Isa from what I've seen, it's about Aes Sedai. Yeah. Not about But it dark. seems like the dark friends that we've gotten any like any backstory on at all tend to become a black a dark friend for glory for uh, yeah. um, power. power for in, in Inktar's um, situation like not not so much for glory but for protection almost mm-hmm. of the of the world that he loved right so. Yeah. So, but but it's always to gain something, right? So, I, sure, that makes sense that Elida would would become black because she, yeah, that's that's interesting. But so, anybody else who, so out of all those that you named, Varen, Sherium, Alana, um, did you throw in? You didn't throw in Swan Song Shan there. No, Suan, I'm sure is good. Okay. Rain is good. I know. What do you think of Leanne? Liana. Le- the keeper of the chronicles. Oh, I assume she's good. Okay. She's too formal. Okay. To, like she keeps formalities with someone they were novices together or something. No, no, she's okay. not gonna slip from that. Shiram and Alana, I really don't think are bad. I, okay. I was very suspicious in the past. Something's gonna happen where I'll take that back. Varen, I'm just on the fence simply because she's the one I wouldn't expect to be, and I feel R J style is gonna be haha. Yeah. Guess who's gonna like like turn around? She's gonna. There's gonna be a moment where the bad guy turns around and it's Varen. Yeah. Um, I don't want her to be though. So I don't. I don't know. want her to be either. I love Varen. I know you do, but you can love bad people. Uh, <laughs> like, are you saying you as me personally, or just yeah. like you people in general? No, you personally. Who do I love this bad? Varen. Well, so, uh, so, so that's a prediction. So Varen, so you're predicting Varen's black. She might be. Okay, okay. Varen's, just... 
Varen super sus. Okay. I don't have any proof of it right now. It's just she's the right fit for Robert Jordan to turn okay. around and say, ha ha, fooled you. Okay. Okay. That's that's awesome. It's good. I, I love your predictions. I mean, this that this is why it's been so, like, frustrating to get through the first couple books because there weren't really that many opportunities to make these big broad sweeping pr predictions now we're getting even though you've still read the next book we're getting into the point where there's there's questions being brought up that you For don't sure. know the answers to yet so this is this is fun i i i'm we're finally getting there i can't wait to get to yeah okay perfect the end of the scene is pretty simple Egwene has to Nynaeve's room where elaine is crying i couldn't be that awful crying literally into Nynaeve's lap who's acting like the motherly figure with tears in her own eyes and, and who says it gets it, it it doesn't get better but it doles right and Egwene goes ahead and then she finally processes what she saw during her acceptance testing and finds herself crying too about leaving Rand. And Nynaeve says something about, we'll make them pay our price someday. Which I'm like, what the hell, Nynaeve? You're really on a mission to take down Aes Sedai? Yeah, she is. Come yeah, on. she is. Yes, she is. But okay, but this is interesting because this gives us an interesting um, character of, of Egwene. Mm -hmm. Right? She's, she's annoying, right? She's super judgmental. She's whiny. She's... There's, she, she has a lot of annoying characteristics, but here, she got out of the Terangrial and rather than like focusing on all the horrible shit she just went through, she is immediately in the moment, like what is going on? Why are all these eyes and I freaking out? Like everybody's tense. And then she's thinking about what's in her pouch. She's she's staying in the moment. She's thinking about who's sure. who's a dark friend, and she doesn't even like think about this horrible experience that she just experienced, just just went through, until she gets to a place where now this is the moment. And I I think that's cool. I think that that's a cool characteristic. I hope it sticks with her. Um, that she can just stay focused, stay in the moment, and allow like these horrific events to just kind of like stay at bay in her emotions until she has a chance to deal with them, right? Yeah. And I and I think that that's an important thing to think about. Who knows? Maybe maybe this is a once you know a one and done thing for her. Maybe not. Well, and I think I think at this point there's been enough hints. I do think Agreen. Will be Amarlin's seat someday. I think okay. that was a foretelling. Okay, okay. That's and I a prediction. think that what you just said, her ability to it's basically compartmentalizing. Yeah. But that might be how she gets to the success she gets. And yeah, she did deserve to finally process what happened, but at the same time, honestly, how it was described, there was no way her heartstrings were tugged nearly as much as Nynaeve's. Well, because she's already... She's, she's let go of Rand already. I mean, she, we got this at the beginning of the of, of you know her POV when they were approaching Tarvalin. She has already accepted the fact that she's not going to marry uh, Rand. Does she love Rand? Yes, she does. As... A, bro a brother, as a friend, as somebody that she thought she would, like, she thought she was in love with him, and now she's come to the conclusion that no, but I do love him, I care about him, I, I, I want him, 
you know, to be safe. I don't want anything bad to happen to him. He's like my best friend. He was supposed to be my husband. You know what I mean? So seeing these lives in which he was her husband or, you know, like her having to steal, steal him or order his stealing as the Amarillin, her having to make a choice to stab him because he's a man who can channel and, and they're, you know, 13, merge wrong 13, I said, I are going to turn him into the shadow. You know, you know what I mean? Like, these are still horrible, but you're right. It's not the same as... Because Nynaeve, for the short amount of time that she's known Lan, she loves him fiercely. And I don't think there's anything that Nynaeve does that isn't fierce, right? True. Like, she's a fierce woman. And so that would explain her testing. Everything fiercely played on her yep. emotions. Yep. Anyway. So, no, fair. no, you're right. You're right, though. It's... it. So so we could say that maybe uh, uh, Elaine, or, or rather Egwene, she, she's very emotionally mature. She, she has, in, in a lot of ways, she has the ability to, to uh, be emotionless when she needs to be emotionless, right? Good quality for an Amarillin seat. Okay, okay, cool. That's a great prediction. It's not, I mean, you're right. We've gotten a lot of hints, so it's not like an... Like an out of left field tradition. No, that's, that's, I think that's, it's been coming yeah, through that's, probably men and other things. Yep, yep. Um, worth noting, Elaine Krita couldn't be that awful. So it's you know it is interesting to wonder what did she see? Was she a queen who was a bitch? Yeah. Was she a bitch to Ram? Surely. Did, did she did did she also order like as as queen of Andor? Did she order the death of of Randall Ver or Randall Maybe. Thor or a you hunt know, or a, a hunt, hunt yeah. or you know like right? I mean. Or, back to my not really a prediction, but what if Elida's whole thing isn't Elaine being red, but Elaine being black, Aja? Just saying. Oh, 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 okay, okay, that, that has I, to go not, in the predictions. Nope. It's not a real one, but I, I had a ponder Elida. of Elida wants Elaine to be powerful red, unless Elida is black and wants Elaine to be powerful black. Elaine. Huh. There's to a the connection. Dark side. Join me, Elaine, and together we will rule the universe. Is that like Star Wars? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, join me. I don't. Luke, you are my... I am your father. I've watched more parodies than the actual movies. We've, we've, we've had this, and yeah. I can't remember if I edited it out or chose to make the listeners shame you. No, I'll watch it when it's back in theater. Don't worry about it. After Disney drops it from its clutches. Uh, they will never. They will that 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 is one property that they will never let go of. That's way. Star Wars will always be way too money. It it is released into theaters here and there. I, yeah, have, I mean, I yeah, and they was, will. And actually, they, and during do the that. pandemic, one of them picked up the second one, but I wanted to start with the first yeah. one, so no, I didn't go watch it. You're right. They will probably do that, but um, but yeah, Disney's. It's got to be special. Disney's okay. not letting go of that property. That's way too profitable of a property. And now we are getting into. Oh my gosh. Probably not my favorite chapter of the book, but no. it's up there. And it is a lot of people's favorite chapters. And I'm going to tell you this, because I know you're going to listen to this episode in the next couple days. It's Brett's favorite chapter of this book. Yeah, so for everyone who wants to know, I still listen to the Wheel Weaves podcast. But you had to slow down because you caught up. I Yep, I cannot let them read before me or it influences everything I know about this book because they're so informative. They're good. And they're Danny's good. good. And I'm like, I can't listen or that is going to spoil what I'm trying to formulate in my mind. But I will say chapter 24, Scouting and Discoveries, 
I remember reading this this summer and you, Twitch, were so excited that I finally made it to this chapter. This you, this was your excitement for me yep. when I was first doing my first Because it's a great chapter! But, 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 go on, go on. And what did you think? Uh, when I read it? Yeah. It's good. I, it, there's a very good scene and I appreciate it. I do okay. sincerely it, appreciate I, that. I, I, it's I, coming. I kind of... I, I kind of get the feeling from listening to these other like men, women uh, podcasts that this this uh, chapter is a little bit more enjoyable for for males. Um, oh, I can see and, that. And, yeah. and, and I mean, I'm not trying to like put a division between what men and women like or anything like that, but it seems to me from like from from the like being on Facebook groups, being on Twitter, uh, being on Discord, listening to a bunch of different podcasts, it seems like this chapter tends to be more enjoyed by the male half of the you know cool. human people out there. Um, and possibly, I, I agree with you because I think this summer I was like, I could have just responded to you, okay, like it was okay. And this time, because I have a few other factoids in my mind, I appreciated it a little bit more for several okay. reasons. But anyway, chapter 24, Scouting and Discoveries. Matt wakes up, eats all the food laid out for him, and gets dressed to explore his surroundings and test his limits in the city. He manages to get outside to a yard after some wandering through the tower. He acts casually around some of the guardsmen who are in this space, chatting with an Iliander guard who identified himself as Bridge Guard, only for this bridge guard to quickly call him out and name him the same Matt Calthone that all the guards were warned about and forced to memorize his description by an Aes Sedai herself. He plays with him a little bit. He, come on, this, this, this starts the fun of the chapter. He's, he's playing with him. He's like, um, he it, it depends because Matt asked him what's the, you know... The, what's the conditions on the other side of the river? Uh, yeah. On the other side of the bridge, like which he's direction? like he's like which 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 bridge? Which side of the river? He's like east, and he's like, is it is it muddy? Is it good for traveling? And and then he thinks to himself, this is probably good knowledge to have, anyways. Um, but the bridge guard's like, ah, oh, it, no, it's fine. But there's white cloaks. You're gonna have to deal with white cloaks. And he's like, oh, okay. What about west? It's pretty much the same. What white cloaks are all over? They cause some trouble, but you know, it's. They're they're just being dicks and we we we're fine, but yeah yeah it doesn't really matter east west you you're not going anywhere you know you're if if fortune if fortune prick me and we've heard that before if fortune prick, do prick me you're Matt Cawson. and yeah and and you you explained it, it every board and and he's talking in front of other soldiers and other soldiers are starting to pay attention and he's just like shit my luck is not in right now okay I better like get out of here and. Yeah, and the guard even goes so far as to be like, did you steal something for an Aes to say this? And Matt's like, I'm no thief. Then the guard's like, well, were you trying to sell a fake Horn of Valir? He said, you do have the look of, of somebody who tried to sell me the Horn of Valir. And that caught Matt off guard a bit, but then he's like, I was healed, okay? I yep. was healed. And the yep. man's like, yeah, you look a little bit peakish. Yep. But that's where Matt's just dismayed. Everyone knows who he's I like, am fuck. now. Shit. Shit, I could have I could have managed it if only the captains knew. But damn it. All and of them So anyways. The next part is what this is one of those parts of the chapter I found interesting and even more interesting the second. Okay. Week. 
Matt finds some comfort in his ability to slip out of sticky situations from years of practice, living with a suspicious mother of his mischievous ways and four sisters ready to tattle. He runs into a dark-haired girl and remembers Elsa Grinwell from the family farm and how much she loved the fellas. Uh-huh. But she acts super weird. Yeah. And he knows it. She's demanding, why are you up and about? And is ignoring his pleas to remember their time on the family's farm. She just is repeating, let me buy. And she keeps glancing over her shoulder. Even after though she the left. walkway, there's plenty of room for her to just walk past. And she makes sure he's not following. It's really weird. Matt's aware she's acting different. And he mostly attributes it, wow, becoming an Aes Sedai is making her much more formal or something. Yeah, right? Um, but the reader also knows, this girl's acting weird. So first read through, I assumed something's going on. She's either involved with something bad or being taken over by someone or threatened by someone to do their bidding, such as Leandrin being a dick to Lady Amelisa. And okay. That was first read through. Okay. I can't spoil second read through because it's, I know what happened. Oh, okay. Or can okay. I? Spoiler alert. Uh, you can, you can say what you think. Oh, I'm pretty sure it's Lanfear can take different, um, okay. people. Okay. This is Lanfear. This is oh, Lanfear talking to him using we, Elsa's body. So we do know that Elsa Greenwell was in the tower. Shit, yes. You remember this, right? Yeah, I know she is, but when, this is when, not Elsa. When Egwin got there yeah. the first time and, 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 Elsa's and, 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 over and Elaine, yeah, Elaine was like, Elaine was like, oh, there's two other girls that, that know Rand that, yeah, um, I remember. but I only want to introduce you to one of them and. Because the other one was Else, and she's just a daydreamer and a lazy. This this Else doesn't seem like a daydreamer. This Else doesn't seem like she's, she's really into the man, right? She there's something so so okay so and so so it's fair for you to make that prediction. Yeah, and, and honestly, too much knowledge in her eyes, and there's more details Matt gives, but it is clearly not Elsa Grinwell. It is Lanfear taking on another. I mean, unless the Andrin can do it, but I don't think so. I think it's so. You've Landry. already read the the next chapter. In the very next chapter, uh, we see Elsa again, right? And then, so, but we never ever get confirmation that she's that she's Landfair. No, just, I don't think I've had confirmation, but I would. But that's but that but you're pretty prediction. sure. Okay, okay, okay. I like I love it. Cool. And we've seen people running in white. I don't and I know the novices wear white, but still. Yeah. Fucking no. land fear. Good. Matt sits in the grass because he really needs to take Well, a that would explain, sorry, that would explain why she's trying to avoid him because if it is land fear, she just had a conversation with him. Like, well, that's the context. Yeah. Why are you up and about? She just saw him. He should be yeah. in bed sick, yeah. not foiling her plans. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so Matt is still weak, so he sits in the grass to watch men train, identifying these must be warders with warders in training, practicing sword drills. Matt notices all the ladies are watching one particular man, almost as pretty as a girl, mm, who is yeah. beating his strawberry blonde opponent, who Matt attributes to be Elaine's brother, Gawain. Which makes... Uh, well, he... Yeah, it's Glad. We know it's the Glad. Other guy. Well, but but Matt's realizing yeah. that it's Glad. Yeah, and I just my comment was even men notice Glad's good looks. Like, and then I'm thinking, who's the guy you would notice in real life? His good looks. If he came into the bar, who, who would it be? I mean, I can name a dozen women because I think a lot of women are beautiful. But who would be the guy for you? You would pause maybe and notice, man, he so, is beautiful. So it's hard to. Um, to for me to separate like 
fame and beauty. Because if Brad Pitt or yeah. Tom Cruise came into my bar, I'd be like, <gasps> but not because they were beautiful, but because they were Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. Ooh, who's <laughs> local? You know what who's I mean? Who's a local like, person? Maybe I, I'll know them. But, uh, so, so... It's hard for me to, like, I, I feel like you're asking me to, like, pick a celebrity who's beautiful. That's the easiest so everyone can know your type. Um, oh, you know, I gotta say Keanu. Okay. Uh, maybe, He's a good-looking man. Maybe uh, uh, um, Denzel. If, if Denzel walked in somewhere, I'd, I'd be like, oh, damn, that was a good-looking man. Like Denzel's a good looking man. Um I appreciate that. So yeah. Uh 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 and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, I love this actor. I think he's I think he has a great career ahead of him. Um but I can't remember his name. Zach Efron. Zach Efron was in my mind. Zach and I didn't Efron. Say it. Okay. No, Zach Efron's <laughs> Zach Efron's a good actor. He's an amazing dancer. I've watched I always refused when they came out and I was in my early twenties to watch high school musicals. But my kids have gotten into like musical things, so we showed them high school musical. They're but but Zach Efron's got a great voice. He's a good dancer. Like uh he's 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 a badass. Like he's he's a good actor. He has a very bright career ahead of him as as long as he doesn't fuck it up and die like so many good young actors do. But I, no, I, I just appreciate I, it because it was in my mind. Like, keep your mouth shut, Mandy Cat. I, I feel like I feel totally out of character um, appreciating Zac Efron, but I do. The guy's funny. The guy's a good actor. And if like, he was shirtless, sword practicing, most of us yeah, in the room yeah, would at least pause. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Just pause. Uh, young Val Kilmer. Yeah. Young Val Kilmer Val walks. Kilmer. Not 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 now Val Kilmer, but young Val Kilmer walk, walks yeah. into a bar. Yeah. I'm stopping and staring at that guy. I'm like, damn, I wish I looked like him. One time, you can delete this, but one time I studied abroad in Thailand. Or I studied abroad in Singapore. I went to Thailand for New Year's before. And there was the, like, it was like Thor, god of the beach. This man had to be almost seven feet tall, but had the huge body lifter build for yeah. it. And we'd see him, because it was just a beach town. We'd see him on a moped, and it made the moped look like just that itty-bitty <laughs> tricycle. And I, I ran into him in the grocery store, and I almost... I didn't. I just did a creeper picture, but I almost paused and asked to take a picture with him because this man was beautiful. Yeah. He had the long, yeah. blonde locks. Yeah, like, 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 like the Fabio, Fabio yeah. but bigger. Yep. Like, he was just muscular. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. No, I mean, no, that, I, I'm not deleting that. That's staying in. That's, that's beautiful. So... So yeah. At so, okay. this time, okay. In the in the book, they're fighting. We we the reader know. Yep, it's Galad versus yep. Gawain. Galad's beating Gawain with grace, like cat like moves. Yep. Um. However, at the end of their little fight, Gawain is observant, takes note of Matt, um, and they approach him. And they approach him. Okay. Yeah. So um, the two boys approach Matt, and Matt's already um, deduced that it's Gawain and Galad, right? And um, and Gawain says, you are Matt Cawthon, are you not? I'm sure, I, I, I was sure I recognized you from Egwene's description and Elaine's. I understand you are sick. Are you better now? Matt's, you know, just flipping out. I'm fine. He wondered if he was supposed to call Gawain my lord or something of the sort, but he had refused to call Elaine my lady. Not 
that she had demanded it, actually, and he decided he would not do better for her brother. You come to the practice yard to, to learn the sword, Galad asked. And Matt shook his head. No, I was only out walking. I don't, I don't know much about swords. I think I'll put my trust in a good bow or a good quarterstaff. I know how to use those. And then this is what you wanted me to say. I did. Yeah, go for it. The lad cracks a joke. If you spend much time around Nynaeve, Galad said, you'll need bow, quarterstaff, and sword to protect yourself. And I don't know whether that would be enough. And and that's funny, that right? Like that's kind of funny. Goblin is even. Oh my gosh, Galad, you cracked a joke. Galad, you just very nearly made a joke, and Galad's like, I do have a sense of humor, Gawain. You only think I do not because I do not mock people. <laughs> okay, so there we go. We we've already gotten that that Galad is always he always chooses right and good. He's he's lawful good. Yes. Like you know so. But he is probably still pissed about Nynaeve yeah. lying to him. And he makes this joke and it's apt. I yep. like it. So the fellas ask about Rand and then Matt says, well, I haven't seen him in a long time. And then Matt changes the topic. And on a whim, Matt makes a bet he can beat both Galad and Gawain with their swords, practice swords. Yeah, he just, and he with a quarter staff. He just jumps right into like swords aren't the be all end all. I could I could do fairly well against either of you, I think, if you had a sword and I had my quarter staff. And they're both just like, um, okay. And uh, uh, Gawain says, sick. you must be very good. And yeah, they're both just like, okay. And, and, and that's they're, like. They're not okay. They're more like, you're sick. Yeah. We're not taking this. Well, 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 no, 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 no. So, so, so Matt, so Matt throws it out. He says, I will wager two silver marks to two from each of you that I can beat both of you at once. Just the way I said, you can't have fairer odds than that. There are two of you and one of me. So two to one odds, you know, pretty fair. Um, and, and he laughed, and it, it, or he almost laughed. But anyways, they're both just like, uh, no, dude, you've been sick. You've, you, I, I, Galaz, straight up, I'm not, I'm not going to do this wager. I won't do it later when you're healed. Like, this, that's ridiculous. And then However, the, the, the trainer, Hamar Gaiden. Hamar Gaiden. He comes over and basically goads them into accepting the bet. Well, no, he, no, he basically is just like, I'll take it. Really, you guys, you guys don't think that you can, or you guys are so confident that you can beat this guy that you're refusing to fight him. That doesn't sound like you're very confident that you can beat this guy. And they're both just like, really? Come on, Hamar, this would not be a fair fight at all. And he's like. I'll, I'll, I'll fucking cover your guys' wages. You know, I'll pay up if you guys are too embarrassed to pay up. But I want to see this happen. Like, Hamar's kind of cool, right? It's legit. And he's not being a dick to Matt. He's actually trying to get these warders in training to man up. Well, and and he's like... Imagine you're a teacher who has a pupil who is so good and no one ever beats them. And you see an opportunity where somebody that they would never expect to be beaten by has a potential, right? So he's like, I could turn this into a lesson if it goes right. And I'm sure even if it goes wrong, he could turn this into a lesson, right? So, so he's just looking at it from a blade master uh, point of view, like a, like a blade teacher, right? Like he's like, this is a good lesson. Let's, let's see if we can teach these fucking princes 
yeah. from and or yeah. some humility, yeah. right? Yeah. So so this I really 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 like Hamar. This is great. Hama. Yep. And then I, I picture the two guys from SNL. We're going to pump. And, uh, Hans and Franz. Yeah. I'm Hans. I'm, I'm Franz. And we're here to pump. You, you are. are. I love them. That's who I'm picturing. Okay. Dana Carvey and. Uh, so. And, and uh, 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 Neelan. Kevin Neelan. Oh, I love him. They both take the bet. Matt mutters to himself. They're both, they're skeptical, they're annoyed, they feel like they're taking advantage of somebody, right? Like, like they're very cocky, they have no doubt in their mind that they're, they're gonna, they're actually gonna probably go easy on him, right? Seems like it. Matt mutters to himself for luck, and Hamar comments, you speak Manatharan. Oh, Matt, <sighs> you're chatting to yourself into... The old time, it's leaking out of you. What and I just made a comment, is the dagger to blame or is it being Taviran? We hear it in English, but Hammer heard it in Manetheran. So you, Matt is muttering in Manetheran without knowing it. Do you remember what he said? He Just like wishing for luck. luck uh, he says luck. Time to toss the dice. Oh yeah, dude. And that's, you toss dice, Matt? That, that's, 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 that's an important line. That it might is. come up in the future. So you, you got to remember that. Time to toss the dice. And, and that's when Hamar's like, oh, you speak the old tongue. And Matt's just like, god damn it. It's also what Varen asked Rand yep. when it was time to claim Dragon Reborn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt strikes fast. He manages to bump Gawain in the side of the head. And he falls down. He continues fighting Galad until Matt uses some fast Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle moves and nearly stabs Galad in the throat before holding off, remembering this is just a bet. It's not about killing. Yep. I summarized it really quickly. Did you have more to add to that? Because you like this scene. No, I, I love this scene. Um, no, it's just great. Like, like he, he fends off Galad and just pivots and turns real fast and just pops Gawain's... Right, right in the temple, and knocks him, knocks him down. It's the like, classic. Just like, that. like, like, Gawain, Gawain doesn't have a chance. He doesn't do anything, and then he fights Galad for a second. He knocks the sword out of Galad's uh, hand. Galad does this awesome, you know, uh, uh, roll, grabs spin, uh, Princess again. Bride, die, you know, like, like flip and grabs the sword yeah. and pops up, and then Matt's all of a sudden like. Fuck, I'm not gonna last. I am too tired. I'm all the food I ate this morning is already burned through me, and he, he's feeling shaky in the knees, and so he's just like fuck it, and he just lashes out. And I, I imagine Donatello yep. from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just whirling his his staff around, and bam, bam, and takes him out. And uh, I love it. It's it's a it's, 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 scene. it's great. It's fuck. Here's the thing. For anybody who um, was bullied in their childhood, and I, and I imagine most kids go through an experience where they're bullied, you know, even if they tend to not, not experience that very much, I, I, I imagine most kids have at least one or two experiences of being bullied by older kids at some point in their lives. Um, and... Uh, I had a lot of bullying done to me um, when I was a kid, and it just I know I know Galad and Gawain aren't bullying Matt, but they're. I think a lot of bullying happens unintentionally, where somebody is so confident in their ability that they talk down to you, and don't realize that they're bullying you 
but they're affecting you in a way. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so I, I, I always appreciate, and I don't think I'm the only person out there because I know I'm not the only person that's ever felt like I was bullied unintentionally. I appreciate how um, Matt is able to like just, just put these two cocky assholes in their place, right? And they're not assholes. They're not mean people. They're, they're, they're good people. But I just I appreciate how he how he shows them up. You know, it's just like here's your arrogance thrown right into your throat. You know what I mean? And I think that's why this is a beloved scene because it's the underdog just basically putting the asshole empire in their place. Yes, I agree. So, another Star Wars reference that you don't get. And... Oh, Palmer comes in and asks the gathered crowd, who was the greatest sword person of all time? And they all answer, Jerome. Palmer confirms and he says, Jerome fought at least 10,000 times and was only once defeated by a farmer with a quarterstaff. And you all need to remember that detail and what you just saw. Galad accepts defeat. And then then he turns to Galad and says, if you haven't gotten up now, if you haven't gotten up by now, bud, it's over. Game over. The Aes Sedai flock to Galad to heal him. Gawain comes over to Matt to shake hands. He still has blood in his hair, but no open wounds, so he'd already been healed. And he's cool about it. He's cool about it. He was like, I shouldn't have underestimated you. Yep. Matt accepts his two silver marks from Gawain, and he does ask, uh, is Galad going to be upset if I go over right now to get my money? And Homer indicates the green eyes that I will be more upset about it. Yeah, yeah. And, And he even makes a joke about how, like, um, I, I, I would never expect Aes Sedai, even Green, to act like, you know, wet behind the ear novices who just came to the tower. You know, like, like, and you've got to think that, because they call, you know, you know that Hamar is a, is a warder. Yes. Not only because he's training. Hamar Gaiden. But, but yes, Hamar Gaiden, and we know that Gaiden means warder. warder. So, um. I just find it uh, hilarious that, because the only warder that we've really been a- gotten to know at all is Lan, right? Correct. And Lan would never crack a joke. No, he's too stony. Although lately he started kind of being a little cracking jokes about. But I mean, Hamar's not in any in the hearing, you know, within hearing distance of any Aes Sedai. But it's still funny that he totally like. Bad mouth the Ace and I right there. She's like, fuck it. Even Greens, I would expect them to have more dignity than this. <laughs> so Hammer gives the two silver marks in Fork a lot. He's like, I'll settle the bet later. Yep. But then Matt cracks some wit at this point, and Hammer asks again, Where are you from? And Matt automatically answers, Manetherin, and then catches himself, and he's like, No, I'm to Rivers. And any jokes, I've, I've heard way too many old stories. He walks off, keeps the quarterstaff, but does finally question, what's going on with my odd language? Yeah, yeah, he's like, before, I mean, before there were sprinkles, there were sprinkles, but now it's, now it's, now it's kind of coming out all the time. And that's the end of the chapter. And that's, Matt kicked ass. And Matt, Matt was awesome, right? He did good. Um, oh, yeah, so... 
as this chapter itself, not much more to discuss, right? I feel like it was. Uh, we 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 talked. Yeah. We we talked through it, and I I feel like there's not really anything that you, like other. So so Matt's doing good. He's doing good. Matt's, Matt's doing good. He's, he still needs he's, to heal because he, he's describing he's, a hole where yep. the stomach should. Yeah, be. he's so starving hard. right now. He needs to eat, even though it hasn't been. It really, I I don't think it's been more than maybe an hour or two since he ate. You know, right. but he is. Hollow. He needs to get back to the room. Because he used all the energy. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because um, right now he's just he needs his fuel. He's just burning through it like crazy. Um, but yeah. So uh, we th- this brings us to our fuck Mary kill. All right. Yeah. Let's go ahead. Am I going first or you? Um. Go for it. Go backwards. Kill Elida. Okay. That's fair. That's, Dick. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Mary was a little... I don't think I had anyone I really wanted to marry. And I'm still a little backwards. There's two I could choose from, but I'll just choose Gawain because he was a good player. Good team okay. player. Yeah. Good sportsmanship. Yeah. And, 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 and he was cool about it, right? No like hard he was, feelings. Yeah, yeah. No, no that was... Yeah. I, will, I, I can get on board with that. Sure. And I know my fuck. <laughs> this one, I hope it's not who you chose. The farmer with the quarter staff who defeated Jerome. Yeah. That would be my Yeah, fuck. this is the first time you fucked Matt. No, the farmer. Oh, 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 okay. Sorry, no, no, I'm sorry. No, not Matt. The farmer with the quarter staff who defeated Jerome. It's just talked, his name is the farmer with the quarter staff. History. Uh, okay. Jerome Fox. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, 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 no, I, I, I get the reference. Are you trying to say Matt I, is the farmer reborn? Yeah, he might be. Well, he's he's a farmer with a corsac that just took out two really uh, good swordsmen. Essentially it is Matt, isn't it? But then, I, I'm going to identify it no, as you're right. the, the one I, who oh, defeated Jerome. When you said the farmer with the staff, I reacted before I heard you finish that. With the the one that I don't think of Matt as a farmer so. either. He was a horse trader by. Uh, his dad his dad was a farmer. Oh, okay. his dad's a farmer oh, and a horse okay. trader. He's okay. he's he's a rancher. You know, he's got a farm. He's got horses. He trades horses. But they're not um, making tobacco. Like they're not. Know. They're not. Or I, apple brandy I, wine. I, I don't know. I don't know. They don't say. They don't yeah. say. But he is a farmer. I always kind of pictured that he was like the more like, um, vegetable farmer. Oh. And he was the one that was was providing the town with beets and, and carrots and potatoes. Um, that could be. I I imagine the two rivers being very much uh, uh, a good spot to do a lot of your root vegetables. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, they probably had Without some good doubt. radishes, but you're 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 not growing. You're probably not successfully growing apples. Maybe you could get away with some like berry vines or grape vines, but well, didn't Tam have apple brandy wine? Oh, he did. No, you're right. You're right. He did. So he must have had some apple trees going on. Um, and, and they and, commented yep, on withered yep, apples yep, and no, uh, Falma. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. That's fine. Anyway, no, no, I actually indicated Jerome's era farmer. No, no, that's awesome. That's awesome, but that's why I reacted. That okay, you're you know, like I, I mad. thought you were fucking mad. Sorry. Well, not yet. I I, I think come. I think you might. I think you might. Oh, I'm, I'm sure I will. I know you've told he's, me he's my type of character, but he hasn't gotten to the I, redeeming part. I yet. know you've told me <laughs> that where you're at um, in the series. Uh, a reminder to the listeners: Mandy Cat has gotten through the first four books, so I know that you're not a huge Matt fan yet. He's still growing. But I think book five will probably make you a Matt fan. Yay. 
I think that's where it happens for a lot of people. For me, it I, for me, it was this. I'm pretty sure it happened. Well, it happened when he woke up, like the first oh. time I was, because I was always wanting to be in Matt's head because Matt Matt was the class clown. Matt was the funny one. That's who I was growing up, right? I all I always identified more with Matt when I first started reading the series than I did with the tall, hunky redhead or the super thick muscular blacksmith right like i got along with those types of people but i was a skinny scrawny kid not saying that matt was but i always related with matt more so i knew i was really excited i remember being really excited when i finally got into a matt perspective and um and so it just it just grew from there i do remember not liking matt in the first two books but wanting to like Matt. Yeah. Because he was who I identified with, but I didn't like him. But I also knew that it was because he was cursed, right? He was cursed. He was also really immature in book one. Exactly. And and he's a dick in book two. Like, he's just a straight up... But he's still a straight up dick. You know, like... I I get it. Yes, he was was cursed, but he's still a straight up dick. Anyways, okay. So you married... Remind me, you you the farmer you, with the cord. No, no, no. I no, married. No, you fucked the farmer. Did I marry? You killed. You killed Elida. Elida. Gawain. And you married Gawain. Okay. Just had a. There wasn't. I. I wasn't Honestly, super impressed in this section. To be fair, like the marriage to Gawain, I feel like he could do a lot better for me to want to marry him. I'm just kind of going off of. You're a sweet person with a really good nature, sweet nature, kind yep. nature. You grew up privileged, but you're still like no hard feelings against a farmer who just beat the shit out of you right away. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're right. You're, you're right, you're right. Um, I am going to kill, because really, in, in this section, there's not really anybody dislikable other than Elida. True. So, so... I will go ahead and kill Elida as well, but I'll kill Elida, the black Aja bitch from the dream world world, rather than rather than killing um, the Elida of of the real world. Because I honestly, yeah, she was a total dick, but she was honest with Egwene, and I appreciate that. We think she was honest with Egwene. And she was at least honest with the queen about not liking her. Yeah. About not wanting her to be part of the tower. Yeah. Like like that like she she was honest with the queen. She was. And and I appreciate that she was honest rather than being fake. Um, I I she's a bitch. But that doesn't mean that she's a bad person. She's just uh, uh, she's, she's uh, xenophobic. Sure. She doesn't like Wilders. Um. So. So, yeah, definitely. Which is so conceited and privileged. So I think that's appropriate for you to acknowledge yeah. that there is a part of Elida that fits what you said even about the Galad Gauman stuff of just so conceited, full of themselves. Yeah. This is who deserves good. It's like, no, there's others. Exactly, exactly. So, so yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I want to kill Elida, but I'll go ahead and kill the Black Audra Elida who stills Beldine, forces Beldine to knock yeah. Egwene out. Right. Um, I will, I will marry, I'm going backwards, I know, but I will marry, no, do you know what, do you know what, I, I'm, you can pick Matt, no, no, I'm going to go ahead and marry, uh, a Shiriam, oh, uh, Shiriam, yeah. Shiriam, Shiriam was nurturing 
and yet strict Shiriam. I, I think that Shiriam could be potentially a good wife, possibly. Um, so yeah. That's a good uh, one. So I'll go ahead and marry Shiriam, and I am going to. You know, I kind of gotta fuck Matt. Yeah, I figured as much. Yep, yep. I gotta fuck Matt. He was fun. You you fucked his ancestor. It's true. So. We we kind of had some equivalents. (laughs) Shiriam was a good find. I I was a little conflicted. I could have picked Hamar, but there was nothing he did marriageable. I almost picked Hamar too. Yeah, but, but, and even Gawain was a stretch. I was kind of pulling from, I knew his kind nature from before. Yeah. So Shiriam's great. I agree. Okay. We did good. Okay, good we, we did okay. That, that was a long fuck, Mary kill. It took us a while to get through that one, but um, that's okay. I think I think our listeners like our fuck, Mary kills. I think that's why they're tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, I know we have an outro that talks about some of our podcast sites, but we are also on Apple podcast and that as far as i know is the only podcast site that you can go and rate and review podcasts and i would we would love it if you did that um and i mean i would take a one star rating with a horrible scathing um review i i this that will only get us better so so yeah if you have the time and you and you have you know and you care uh yeah, pop in a, a like and a comment uh, for us, and I'd appreciate that. And Thanks for listening in. Yeah, have a great night, day, weekend, Afternoon. whatever it might be for you. Happy hour. Yeah, happy hour. Bye, listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Glee Man's Apprentice. The Glee Man's Apprentice is available on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Breaker, and Radio Public. Our theme song is written by Twitch Avery and performed by Andrew Bard of Time.